Well, it's a privilege to be here with you. Excited. A couple months ago, I was uh, having coffee with a young man. Uh, He's a junior in college. And I meet with a couple of different students at Southwestern um, on a weekly basis uh, doing discipleship and mentorship. And on this particular day, I'm sitting there and we're having a conversation with a young man who grew up in the church. He grew up in the Dallas area. Uh, He had been raised in in a faithful home. It had a strong relationship with his dad and had been discipled and mentored by his dad. And so uh, it's really fun to meet with young men like that who have such a strong foundation. And as we're having a conversation, it was interesting because I asked him something that I ask most of the the folks that I meet with uh, in a relationship like this, and that is, why did did God make all of this and and do it the way that he's done it? Why, Why did it have to happen like this. And the young man, he kind of thought for a moment and he's like, well, I suppose he, he made all, all the people, I guess, because he was, maybe he was lonely. And I, you know, I, as he said that, I had this crazy flashback to when I was a sophomore in college. I remember sitting in a dorm room in kind of the common area in a Bible study, and I remember having that same question and having the same response. Oh, it must have been because he was lonely. I, I can't think of any other reason why he would go through the trouble of making all of us. And then as I remember developing over the years, then I, I knew that there was something about God's glory in the mix that maybe it had something to do with Well, he created us for his glory. I didn't know quite what that meant, but it sounded like the right answer. He made us for his glory. I'm not sure how that all plays out. Why did he let all this sin stuff happen? Why did that take place? If if he knew Adam and Eve would sin, why did he kind of let it play out the way he has? And these are questions that I'm wrestling through with my own kids right now. These This is a question that my seven-year-old will ask. Why did he do this whole thing if he knew that Adam and Eve were going to sin? Why did he make them? And so this is one of those kind of big deal questions. And we we get insight as we start to read and, and, and reflect on the whole counsel of Scripture. We start to see some, some key principles emerge about why he did all of this. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying right before he's arrested and crucified. And as he's praying to the Father, he's talking about things like, Father, I've given them your name. I've told them about you and they know that I've come from you. And I pray that they would understand and receive the glory that I had with you before the foundations of the earth so they may be one, as you and I are one. And he starts having this dialogue through prayer with God the Father about the unity that he has had for eternity past and will continue to have for all eternity moving forward, this relationship that happens between the Father, the Son, through the Spirit, and it's been happening. It's the backstop of the cosmos. This relationship, this perfect knowing, loving, and enjoying that has happened for eternity past. And that he indicates in that prayer that that relationship that's been going on 
is a key to understanding why he did all of this in the first place. That when he created humanity, it wasn't because he was lonely, but it was because he wanted to take that perfect knowing, loving, and enjoying, that relationship, he wanted to expand the boundaries of that to include more, to include us. That he created us so that we could enjoy and experience the perfect relationship that has been going on forever with the God of the universe, not because he's lonely. And when you start to understand, well, how did he design for that to play out, it's absolutely tied to his design for how we're to relate with one another. And that happens primarily through the vehicle of family. We've been talking about, uh, Brett has talked about for the last two weeks, this idea of the important role that families play. First of all, this idea that our families would be outposts, that our homes would be these outposts for the gospel. As we go out from here, that our homes, our houses, our families, our interaction with our neighbors, that these would be places in which the gospel goes forward. And then last week, he talked about a family discipleship plan, an intentional way in which we can engage as a family in loving one another so that that love will spill out to include more people, more families. And so today we get to look in Genesis chapter 12 and we get to kind of understand this bigger picture of what was God up to when he designed this thing called family and, and what's, what's the role of family? Because what we see is that God had an original family discipleship plan. And that's what we're going to look at today. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. A little bit of context here, in Genesis chapter 12, you kind of see a new, a new phase of the narrative beginning. <clears throat> because in Genesis chapter, chapters 1 through 11, there's a lot of stuff that takes place and it kind of ends with the Tower of Babel and then a genealogy, the genealogy of Shem, Noah's son, that ends with Abram at this point in the story. And all of these things that have transpired in Genesis uh, chapters 1 through 11 is kind of a microcosm of the, the ideas and the themes that will emanate throughout the rest of Scripture. And so in Genesis 12, there's kind of this posturing or this shift that we now see something happen. It's been over 300 years according to the genealogy and the timeline here, God has spoken to his people. And the last time that he spoke to them, it was when he told Noah that he would no longer, he would never again wipe out people the way that he had at the flood. And he'd made a covenant with Noah about the way that he would interact with people, with humanity. And so it's been over 300 years. And that, that's a long time. Here in the U.S., we're, we're a pretty proud country, but we're pretty young we're only like 243 years old, according to our birth certificate, the Declaration of Independence. And so, greater than the lifespan of our nation, God has been silent. And yet, 
We see here in Genesis chapter 12 that he speaks again. He initiates with his people. Starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So first of all, we see here that God initiates. And it's interesting to see in light of the context that right before this, in terms of not in time, but in, in the scriptures, in Genesis chapter 11, we have the episode of the Tower of Babel. And here the people are all of one language, and they've gathered together in one spot, and they're building a tower to try to reach to the heavens so that they can make their name great And so that they wouldn't be destroyed, so that they would be safe and secure and significant. And so it's interesting that God comes down, intentionally confuses their language, and disperses them. And in one activity, we see the wrath of God and the blessing of God. You see his judgment on them but also his love and his mercy because he stops them. He knows the evil that they're capable of if they are allowed to continue in this way. And so he stops them and disperses them. And then we see with Abram, it's interesting because they wanted to make a name for themselves and to make their name great. But God initiates and he says to Abram, I will make your name great. I will make of you a nation. I will bless you. And those who treat you ill or dishonor you, I will curse them. And so one of the things that we identify here is that this begins with God initiating. And I think that in this passage, when we recognize here that God is initiating with Abram and that he's initiating a certain plan for families... We have to understand, first of all, that it's God is the primary actor. God is the one who initiates, not Abram. Abram is doing his own thing, and God initiates by speaking. Now the Lord said. It begins with him. And there's a couple of things that I think allow us some some comfort in that. First of all, his plan for humanity, his plan for the cosmos, his plan for you and I and our families, it's not an afterthought, it's a forethought. The idea that he has initiated something that he intended to do. It's not a plan B, it's, it's the plan. That he initiates, and because he initiates, we know a couple of things. That it will happen. Because he, when he sets out to do something, that's what happens. And we see the kind of things that he wants to initiate that emanates from him. He is a God of love. His plan is one of blessing. His plan is one of flourishing and fruitfulness and life that would occur and emanate from this family, Abram and Sarai. 
And so first of all, God is the one that initiates. But notice, if we stand back from this context, the when and how he initiates. He initiates with Abram, but if you were to stand back from this passage and see what's happened before so we understand that all of the stuff that's transpired in humanity in Genesis 1 through 11, and we see a lot of brokenness. We see a lot of waywardness in, in the people and in humanity. We see the flood occur. We see the Tower of Babel. And God then intervenes. He steps in and he initiates. And then from this point, we also see later in this chapter, we'll see Abram respond and he'll go into the land of Egypt and he'll lie about his relationship with his wife out of fear because he feels like he needs to manipulate the situation in order to protect himself. We'll see that he tries to fulfill this blessing and this covenant that God has initiated. He'll try to be the actor to fulfill it by identifying a relative, Eleazar, maybe he's the one that God's intending. And then we see an episode with Hagar, and maybe that's how this blessing's going to occur. But we see brokenness. We see brokenness in Abram, we see brokenness in humanity, and yet God initiates in the midst of brokenness. And as he initiates in brokenness, he has a plan not only to restore brokenness, but to, to move in light of and through brokenness. And that's his economy. So we see, first of all, that God initiates. He's the one who initiates from the beginning. He's the one that initiates in our family. And I can speak to that in my own life, that I... I reflect back on my family and my family's history and realize just the pattern of brokenness in marriage for generations and divorce and adultery and abuse. These kind of things were kind of typical of my family line. But God initiated. He interrupted me. I certainly wasn't looking for him. But he initiates and he interrupts me and sets forth a continuation of a plan that he initiated with Abraham. And he calls me to himself. He then calls me into a marriage with Shannon, my wife. And he's now fulfilling and carrying out that plan of blessing through my kids. He took in my own life a broken family and he initiated and stepped into my brokenness. And then we see next for Abram. He says, go from your country. He tells him to go. So God initiates. He initiates in brokenness, in the midst of brokenness, but he initiates to tell him to go to go from where? He says, go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house. To go from somewhere to a land that I'll show you eventually. There's so much right here. There's so much. When you, when you consider just the most essential elements of identity 
in the ancient Near East during this time, first of all, this idea of land. Land was a big deal. Land was survival. Land was, uh, it gave you political status. Land was sustenance. And here he is calling him from a land that he's familiar with, that is providing for him, that probably he has a fair amount of. So he's politically secure. He's calling him from the land. Notice next, he's calling him from family. Go from your country and your kindred. In the ancient Near East, during that time, family was your link to the past, the present, and the future. It was your identity. It's who you were, your family. Who, whose shoulders you were standing upon and what you were eventually going to leave to those that would follow. That, that was a part of your, your prowess, your importance. And here we see he is directly called from his land, from his kindred or his family, and to leave his father's house. It's interesting that he includes their father's house that's the idea of his, his inheritance. He's being called from his, his current survival. He's being called from his, what he knows to be his identity. And he's being called away from his future security. That which he can leave. His inheritance that he will eventually be able to provide to his kids and their kids. So we see here he's called from land family, and inheritance. He's putting his absolute and total survival, his identity, and his security in the hands of the Lord. He has to let go of everything that he can, he can bank on and that he can take credit for, for his own value and importance. And he's being told to totally trust that God is the provider of all of those things. Survival, Security, identity. And it's awesome because in verse 4, we just get the simple response. So Abram went. Verse 1, go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house to the land I will show you. Verse 4, so Abram went. Just like that. Hebrews uh, the author of Hebrews in chapter 11 talks about Abram's going and identifies that the key element here in Abraham's faith was that he obeyed when told to go. A lot of times we identify other elements of Abraham's life as the father of faith and the way that he trusted the Lord, but the author of Hebrews says in verse 8, chapter 11, verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going. That second part, not knowing where he was going. It's one thing to be told, hey, I'm gonna, I need you to leave, but don't worry. Here's the picture of the place you're going. And for you to go, oh, okay, that's much better. Yeah, totally, I'll go there. But to be told, okay, I need you to leave everything that you know and find to be comfortable and have security in, and you're going to go... And I'll let you know eventually when, where you're going. But I'm not going to let you know now. 
All you need to know is the character of the one calling you and what his disposition is towards you because that's all Abraham gets. Because he responds and he goes. He steps out in obedience and in verse 2 we're told, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So it's not as though Abram here is responding in a, in a sense that he doesn't know who or what he's called to. He knows the character of the one who calls him. The God of the universe has said, I will bless you. And I'm going to not only bless you, but I'm going to use you and your family to be a blessing to the nations. That you're going to be a vehicle of blessing. That's my intention towards you, and that's my desire, because that's his disposition and his affection for his people. He is showing himself to be a God of love, he has a plan. And it's a plan of blessing. And so Abram goes. And this idea that God initiates in our brokenness to go, it's to go to be a blessing. This idea that we are called not only because he has blessed us, but because that blessing is supposed to overflow into the lives of the people in which he has placed us. He has placed us in certain neighborhoods and houses. He's placed us in certain families. And there are all kinds of family dynamics represented in this room. But none of those dynamics are a mystery to God. All of them are incredibly known to him and that he has specifically placed you in that situation and done a work in your life so that you would then be a blessing exactly in that situation. How many times do we, we sit and look and we look at somebody else's family dynamic and go, oh, if, I, if we just had a family like that, oh, if we could have a situation like that, well, then it would be easy to love them. Our holidays would be great if our family was like that, right? But we're missing it. We're missing that God has initiated in your life, specifically in your brokenness, to move through your brokenness not in spite of it, but through your brokenness to be a blessing, to go and be a blessing to others so that they would go and be a blessing, so that they'd be drawn into this thing that's been going on for eternity past, this knowing, loving, and enjoying of God. That's what we're called to. The original family discipleship plan is that it initiates with a God who loves you and your family way more than you do. And that's really hard to believe. But he has more in store for you than you do. So when he calls you to leave your country, your kindred, your inheritance, because you think that that's as good as it's going to get, he's got a bigger plan for you. He's got a bigger plan for all of us. He's called us into a family, and we're a family to be a blessing. So he initiates in our brokenness for us to go, to obey, to immediately 
be described like Abram, and so he went to be a blessing. And we see that this, there's a pattern here. He initiates with an individual that initiates as a family, so Abram to Sarai, and this initiation here is that he was going to make of him a great nation. As he speaks to Abram, he says, I will move through you, individual, and your wife, couple, so family, to be a blessing to families, multiple families, to nations, to peoples. And it emanates from one to many. And we see that pattern here. We see that that he is initiated with individuals in this room. But he is calling as individuals that we are not just to ourselves, but we're called to be a part of the family of God. And that we as FBG, we are a family. And there are certain rhythms and practices that we're called to engage in. Brett's talking about us being families that as we engage in our neighborhoods as outposts for the gospel, as we develop rhythms and patterns as families and remember what the Lord has done so that when he calls us to go cross a river, we'll do it. Because we know him and the one who has called us. We know his character. We know his disposition towards us. But the underlying struggle here is it's like, okay, yeah, I see that. This is great. I want to do it. But why doesn't that happen more often? Why isn't it our natural disposition to go when called? To live according to the ways that we know we're called to live? And the reality is, we sometimes struggle to believe or be convinced of the way that God has designed it or that maybe we're unconvinced that it's the best. That's really what it comes down to. You see, after this, even though God has told Abram to go and he goes, he at times struggles to be fully convinced of what God is calling him to. You see him enter Egypt. Right? He, he's, he's been told, those who curse you or those who mistreat you, I will curse. And yet he goes into Egypt out of fear. He says to Sarai, you need to say that you're my sister, not my wife. Because if they find out, then harm will come to me. What did God tell him? God told him, anyone who mistreats you, I will curse. And then he also struggles to recognize, okay, God said that he would make from me, I would be the father of many nations, and I, all the families of the earth would be blessed, but I'm old. Sarai's old. Maybe he meant something else. Not what he said, but maybe he, I need to read between the lines here. Maybe it's Eleazar, my, my relative, because I don't have any kids, so that the blessing must go through him, and God reminds him, no. You're going to have a son. He's going to be your son, your physical offspring. Okay, sure. Then a couple chapters later, he's like, well, maybe he meant through my wife's servant, Hagar. 
That's how I ought to do it. God says, no. I meant what I said. I'm going to do it exactly how I said it. You're going to have a son with Sarai, your wife, the original family here, and this is how it's going to happen. So we, like Abram, we, although we know God's intentions towards us and have been told that, sometimes we are not always convinced. We're not always convinced that his way either will happen or is going to happen in a way that we will like it. And we have to come back and remember the one who is initiated with us, the fact that he did initiate with us, says a lot about how he loves us. And the fact that he initiated with us in our brokenness. And that he initiates because he wants us to go, to obey, to walk with him. Because he wants to use us, not only to be a blessing in our lives, but to be a blessing through our lives. And so, there's a huge lesson right here. The essence of faith is obedience. And obedience to God's commandments, to his call on our life, even when we don't know what obedience will bring. Because Abram was called to a place that he would be told about later not told about right then and there. So we have to be willing that when called to go not knowing exactly what obedience plays out to be in our lives. And so as families, we are absolutely called to be a blessing because he initially has blessed us and called us to himself. This plan that he's had since the beginning of the universe was a plan that he initiated through a family and continues to initiate and carry out through families as we experience the love, the knowing, the enjoying, the commitment that happens within a family unit, it emanates to our church family as we know, love, and enjoy relationship with one another. That is to spill out beyond these walls into the walls of Williamson County. It's supposed to continue to overflow because the boundaries of which God has designed from the beginning to include others is still happening. He's still calling individuals and through individuals, families to himself. And we get to be a part of that. And so keep in mind, the original family discipleship plan includes you. And it includes your family. And the question is, as God initiates with you, initiating specifically in your brokenness, will we be ones to respond and go to be a blessing? Are we willing to leave the land, our security? Are we willing to leave kindred, right, our identity, and are we willing to leave our inheritance, right, this idea of survival and future survival because we believe and are convinced that God's plan is better than ours? Are we convinced? And we'll know that we're convinced as we, every day, 
take up the opportunity to be a blessing in the lives of people around us so that they, a great, a great question to ask ourselves is are the families around us and the individuals that we interact with, are they better off because they know us? Are they being blessed through our relationship and our knowing of them? If we were no longer in their life, would they feel the effects of that? Would they be bummed to find out you were moving from your neighborhood? These are simple questions that help us to identify, are we being a blessing? So as the Lord has called us into his family, Paul makes perfectly clear that we are children of Abraham. Romans 9 through 11, he clarifies this idea that it's not simply physical descendants of Abraham, but it's descendants by faith. That those who are descendants by faith, walking in the faith and confidence that what Christ has done and finished and accomplished on our behalf, he has adopted us as sons and daughters into his family. The original family discipleship plan is one in which we are grafted in, we are brought into the family of God, perfectly known and perfectly loved, so that as we respond in love to what God has done, others will get to know their heavenly father and be a part of this thing we call family. 